If you will, grab your Bibles or some device that has the Word of God on it and head over to Luke chapter 7, verse 18 this morning, uh, which is where we're going to be beginning. Uh, and I'll tell you from the start, this is actually a pretty strange passage. Hard to get our minds around it because it uh, deals with a lot of things that uh, you kind of have to know more to understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, but I hope once you understand it that you're going to find it uh, very comforting to you. Uh, so uh, here's the way we're going to do it, though. In order to, to follow along and, and see the way that everything unfolds in this passage, uh, in order, and also to keep things fresh in our minds as we start to expound them a little bit, we're going to read it in three different sections. Uh, and our first one is just going to be verses 18 through 23. But uh, if you're there, verse 18, let's, let's go ahead and read. You follow along with your eyes. So Luke chapter 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go, and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the truth it teaches us, for the way it serves to correct our beliefs and our actions, the way the Holy Spirit uses it to bring us into a better relationship with you. And this morning we ask that you would indeed enlighten our minds to understand these words that we've just read and those words that we'll read later on. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've told you all before, John the Baptist is one of my favorite people in, in all of the scriptures. Uh, because I just, I, I love how little he cares about what other people really think about him. But, but at the same time, he cares so much about the glory of God and, and what people think about God. In fact, his, his quote in John 3.30 is, is one of my favorite statements in all of scriptures. Because uh, at this point, Jesus, or John had a lot of people that were coming to him out in the wilderness to be baptized. He was becoming a big deal, famous in that way. Uh, and then we find that, that Jesus is becoming very well-known, more well-known. And, and at some point, some people came to him and they asked basically, John, are you jealous of Jesus? Because they're going to him now. Are you jealous? And his response is one of the greatest responses I've ever heard. He says, he says, he, meaning Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And I just love that. I also love just how, how boldly John spoke truth wherever he went, right? And, and one of the things we find is that it doesn't exactly make him friends uh, every place he goes this way. Uh, there was this time when, when he publicly criticized King Herod because King Herod uh, saw his brother's wife and decided he wanted her, and so he took her as his own wife. And, and John, you know, publicly says, this is, this is not good, this is terrible, this is horrible. Uh, and, and so we see people don't, don't tend to appreciate when their sin, our sins are called out, particularly when their sins are called out in a, in a prideful and public way. And so uh, Herod, with the power he has and the hatred he has for John, uh, decides to imprison him in this desert prison. It's near the Dead Sea, if you know anything about the map of Israel at this time or still today. 
uh, and it had this name, uh, Maturus, or you know I'm pronouncing it wrong, but something like that. It was this desert fortress, though, and that's where John is at this point. In case you're wondering, why in the world does he send these people? Why didn't he just go talk to Jesus himself? Uh, it's because he's in prison at this time. And his disciples have come to him and said, here's what Jesus is doing, right? All the things we've just seen in Luke. You know, he, he, he's raised this man from the dead. He's healed his servant. He, he's done all these miracle things. And, and John yet, is, is, it's bothersome to John. Not, not because of what he hears John or Jesus is doing, but because he's hearing uh, things that Jesus is not doing. And, and we're going to see what, he, what I mean by that more a little bit later. But uh, you see, that, that's why John then sends these disciples to him. And understand, just to send your disciples to him, to get a message to Jesus, this is no small task, right? You, you couldn't just send a text message and be done with it. You couldn't even use your, your Find My Friends app to figure out where is Jesus? Where should I go to talk to him? Uh, these weren't common things. And so they'd have to, to ask around. You go into a town and you say, hey, where, anyone seen Jesus anywhere? That Jesus of Nazareth. And someone say, yeah, he was over in this town. And they'd walk to that town and start asking the questions and, and keep going until eventually, uh, eventually they do find Jesus. And when they find Jesus, they ask this simple question. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And, and that term, the, the one here, John means, are you, are you the Messiah? Really, truly the Messiah? That, that's a question out of the mouth. Well... The mouth of John the Baptist's disciples, I guess, but ultimately John the Baptist. It's a question that implies doubt. It's a question that we see in very different forms in our culture all the time. Uh, I'm a, a soccer fan. There's about eight or nine of us in the country, uh, or at least there used to be. There's more now. But I can remember back in the early 2000s, uh, American soccer fans were, were suddenly filled with this hope, right? They're, 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 because we learned about there's this preteen kid who, who was being called the American Pele. And if you don't know anything about soccer, that's a compliment. Uh, the American Pele you want to be. And his name was Freddie Adu, and everyone just thought, this is the player that's going to take us and make us like this soccer power. We're going to win the World Cup once this guy gets older. And by 2004, this kid is only 14 years old. He became the youngest player to ever play in a Major League Soccer game, 14 years old. But over the next few years, he had these moments of brilliance, but generally he just underwhelmed people. And that was so incredibly disappointing to people. And the question people kept asking is, is he really the one? Is this really the guy that's going to lead us to World Cup victory? You probably figured it out by now. He wasn't. See, but at that moment, when you start seeing people's hope, right, turned into a doubt because Adu was not meeting the expectations. And so they started to have these questions. Now, this might come as a surprise to some of you. And it might also be a comfort to others of you, but, but faithful, genuine Christians at times will struggle with doubt. I don't know how many times I've shared that with someone who was struggling with doubt, and it just blows their mind because they thought they were the only one to ever have questions like that, moments like that. You, you look around this room, and most likely there are true brothers and sisters in Christ who have struggled or are currently struggling to believe aspects of the gospel. Struggling to believe, you know, God's genuine goodness to us as his children. 
There, there are moments when, when we pray with, with uncertainty that God is really there listening to our prayers. Moments when, when we feel abandoned on this tiny little planet that, that is in the midst of this huge, vast universe where we just feel alone. At, at times, we may struggle with, with whether everything we read, everything the Bible teaches us about our triune God is reasonable and believable and is real. You may have moments or times like that, periods of time. You, you might find yourself frustrated in those moments at your own doubts, right? Wondering, why, why has my solid faith, why has it become so fragile? What's wrong with me? Now, there are a number of reasons these things happen. Oftentimes, Satan will tempt us to doubt everything we believe about Christ. You can get in the nitty-gritty about what that means and how that looks, but, but that's a reality that Scripture teaches us. We, we also tend to doubt more when we're exhausted, when we are physically or emotionally uh, suffering in some regard. Doubts may come after the death of a loved one as you just struggle to make sense out of the why of it. Why would God permit this? Or, or they may come because our confidence and our joy has been destroyed by a losing battle against some habitual sin. Something like pornography or addiction or gossiping endlessly. So sometimes doubts arise simply because we're, we're neglecting to spend time in God's word where we see truth, where our faith is built up. But, but often gr- doubt grows from the soil of disappointment with the Lord, if we're honest. Just in general, some disappointment. Our, our Christian life isn't as easy as we hoped it would be. Sin still entices you and it drives you nuts. God hasn't provided the great spouse that we expected for all those years, or or we're facing medical fears. For John the Baptist, doubt arises from these unmet expectations, right? Not promises of God that that aren't being fulfilled, but unmet expectations. And we're honest, to see this in John the Baptist, that's weird, isn't it? Because if ever there were a follower of Jesus who we expected would never ever have doubts, it's John the Baptist. How in the world? It doesn't even make sense to us. After all, he, he recognized Jesus as the Messiah, right? As he leapt in his mother's womb before he was even born. He, he recognized Jesus as the Messiah when he baptizes Jesus. John knows and, and has and seen all these prophecies that are being fulfilled in Jesus. And so how in the world is he now having a question of doubt like this? So here's what's going on. John knows that the Messiah is going to bring salvation to some. And he's going to bring judgment to others. He knows that. He prophesied himself. You remember back in Luke 3.16, one aspect of his prophesying, he says this. His, meaning Jesus, the Messiah, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, right? You've got to remember this. But the chaff... Is that right? That chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He's hearing of Jesus bringing salvation, but he's not seeing any judgment. Right? All these messages that come back from his disciples, where's the judgment? And this is really frustrating because here he is. He's sitting in this locked prison while Herod remains in power and is living it up. And here he is in prison. He's going to spend over two years there before he ends up being killed. 
The, the corrupt Jewish leaders are still in power, right? Continuing to go unpunished. And so <clears throat> he's been hearing about Jesus' ministry and he's thinking, uh, Jesus isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not doing what I expect him to be doing. Jesus, you know, going through what, or rather John's going through what many people have called the, the dark night of the soul. You, you can imagine sitting in this prison and then suddenly this, this time comes upon him where unexpectedly his mind is flooded with doubts. What if Jesus isn't the Messiah? What, what if I was wrong? What if we're all wrong? What if this is not who he is? Because he's thinking, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, bring judgment. See, what John didn't understand is that Jesus' ministry would be in two stages. We sometimes forget because God spoke the word through John that he didn't reveal everything to John. John doesn't know. And it's going to come in two stages. The, the first stage brings salvation, right? It brings the gospel to the elect of every generation. This, this stage has Jesus working miracles and preaching the gospel. And, and while the second stage, which is going to occur at the second coming of Christ, this is going to bring about the judgment. So John's wrong in the sense of when he's expecting this all to happen in the now aspect of it. Now, one thing John does very right here, though, is he goes to Jesus with his doubts, his frustrations. See, he, he's a faithful follower of Jesus, even as he's struggling with doubt. And so he goes to Jesus with these questions. See, we, we can do that, too. We, we can go to the Lord in prayer. We, we can tell God about our, our doubts. We can, we, we can trust that God will strengthen our faith because he has promised in his word to, per, to persevere us to the end of our lives. That, that should be a great comfort to us in moments of doubt. That God will bring you through this and persevere you. The Psalms are, are full of, of these types of prayers, actually, like, like we can pray. You know, if you're, if you're struggling against creeping doubt in your life, you're, you're actually in some pretty good company. King David struggled at times and went to God with frustrations. And we can read these prayers in the Psalms. So then, Jesus doesn't immediately answer, does he? He goes about doing things. He, he, he begins to do miracles of healing and casting out demons and <clears throat> giving sight to the blind. And then after the disciples of John had watched Jesus all, do all this, he, he, Jesus turns to them and he has this to say to them. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. It's almost everything that they already know, right? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And so Jesus' response is, is to remind John the Baptist that, that, you know, these prophecies about the Messiah. Okay? Look at the prophecies. Look what I'm fulfilling. In other words, Jesus is saying to him here, John, I am the Messiah. That's what John needs to know. I am the Messiah. I am doing the work that the Father has called me to do. I'm fulfilling the word of the Lord given to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, among many other places. But there specifically it says, uh, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. I am the Messiah, is what he's telling him. He's bringing him back to, to be able to trust in the Lord. And then that last line in verse 23 is this reminder to, to John to, to not fall apart simply because things aren't going the way he expected. Don't be offended by me, right? There's an aspect of ashamed or disappointed. 
This is who I am. This is what I've been called to do. Don't, don't be offended by me. He's telling them, your, your expectations are wrong, but I am the Messiah. Trust me. Have faith in me. We, we also, I think, are often discontent with the limited revelation that God has given us. Right? You don't know everything. You don't know everything about what eternity is going to look like. You don't know the reason God caused something to happen in your life. You don't, you don't know the reason for so many things in the world that happen. All these details about how God's working in the world, Right? We don't know when Christ is going to return or, or all these things. And the reality is, like, like John, we, we need to be content to, to believe Jesus knows more than we know about every situation and, and simply trust him. That's the Messiah we have. That's the Savior we have, that we can look to him and trust him because he knows what we don't know. I want you to... Grab your Bibles. We're going to read again the next section here. And as we do, I, I want you to know as we're reading through this that, that Jesus says all this because he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea about John. Here's John asking these, these questions of doubt. It'd be easy for us to be, what happened to him? What's wrong with John? Like, I thought he was legit. And, and Jesus didn't want them to know that. He wants them to know that John is a great prophet who's been used by God mightily. So let's, let's, let's read again here in verse 24. <clears throat> when John's message had gone, or when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having been baptized by him, having, having not, not having been baptized by him. See, a reed shaken by the wind is someone whose beliefs are so shaky, so, uh, so uh, held so loosely that they're constantly changing them back and forth. In our modern vernacular and political things, we call someone a flip-flopper who does this. You see, Jesus' point here is that you, you know that's not John. That's not who he is. You know that John's more like a mighty oak tree than that. That he's bold, that he has proclaimed the truth despite objections to him. And then the other image here is of a man that's dressed in soft clothing. This is, this is someone who's wealthy and lives in luxury. And the idea is John didn't go out there to, to get rich and to live in luxury, right? You know that. The man's wearing camel fur and eating bugs. You know that's not what he's about. It's not about luxury. And then when Jesus quotes Malachi 3.1, it's, it's simply to remind the people that John is the fulfillment of that prophecy and is the last and greatest prophet serving as the forerunner of the Messiah himself. Verse 28, Jesus tells us this. He says, I, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Philip Ryken explains this so well. I'm just going to quote him on this. He says, 
Uh, Because of the witness to Christ, John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. Yet even the newest, weakest Christian is greater than John. This is because we have experienced the finished work of Jesus Christ, and therefore, by the witness of the Holy Spirit, we know things that John could only dream of knowing. See, without a doubt, John the Baptist is, is redeemed. But what we have, we have a more privileged place in the, in the history of salvation. If you were to lay it out like a timeline, right? Our, our place in, the, in that is, is a much greater place. Not just ours, but, but everyone since the time of Christ. But because we see with a great deal more clarity what John could only see vaguely. And, and then in verses 29 and 30, we see the two ways that people respond to the message of John. In the wilderness, and, and ultimately to Jesus. It's, uh, you see, in, in this gathering of uh, the tax collectors, and, and many others are, are said to declare God just. It's a weird way of saying. What that means is that they, they admit that God is right to say they are sinners. We don't deny it. God is just. He is correct in saying that. They agree that they need a Savior, that they have sin, they need to repent. However, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers, right, they're said to reject the purposes of God. They have rejected John's message and they reject Jesus because they reject, uh, to, they, they want to be accepted by God by their own merit. Which is weird to us because it's not like they hate God, right? But they want to be accepted on their own righteousness. And, and, and so much so that they're absolutely offended, annoyed that Jesus is proclaiming salvation as a free gift to sinners. <clears throat> and their heart is that that's not fair. I've worked so hard to be where I am. How could that be? And so instead, they want it to be something that's earned through great effort. Now, if you're here today and pride has prevented you from admitting that you are a sinner, now's the time to reconsider. Now's the time to admit your sin and unrighteousness before God, repenting and looking to Jesus where grace is offered freely. Now's the time. So then I want us... Grab our Bibles. We got one more, and this is the one that's probably one of the, the stranger ones when you first read it. Uh, and let's read this last portion beginning in verse 31. Um, <clears throat> to what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in, a mar- in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. One of the things uh, Laura and I loved with, with parenthood is, and always found it really interesting with our children over the years is uh, the way that every time we come back from any sort of event or when we've watched some event, uh, they want to play some pretend version of whatever it is. Uh, we go to the book fair, and they come home, and suddenly our house has been transformed into a book fair. Uh, <clears throat> you know, they pretend to do lifeguarding, uh, back-to-school night. They do dance recital and do the whole thing up. They do uh, the homecoming parade that goes through Aggieville, right? They, they, they mimic that. The rodeo, the garage sale. They, they once, even after watching Ninja Warrior, uh, whatever that show was, built this Ninja Warrior course in our backyard, and we're doing time trials on it. Um, after attending a wedding one time, we, we, we came home, uh, and, and before we knew it, Laura and I walked down the hall, and we, we find uh, there's Beckham, who has put on his suit, uh, which he has, even if you've never seen it here. 
Uh, he has his suit, and Beckham's wearing this suit, and he's officiating this wedding between Berkeley and one of her stuffed animals. Um, the sister, maid of honor, of course, and, and doing the whole thing up. She was even wearing a, a repurposed wedding dress on that day. Uh, and see, the kids love to do this. They see something, and they pretend this, they, they mimic these things. And in Jesus' time, boys and girls were, you know, young boys and girls were also uh, did this. They love to play pretend versions of the things they see. And so that's what Jesus is making reference to in this section. That's why it seems weird to you. This is not a phrase we use. But sometimes the kids would play this game. They'd play weddings, right, with flute playing, and there was dancing afterwards. And sometimes they would play the game of funeral because, unfortunately, they saw that so often. And they would play sad songs and pretend to cry. However, many of the kids, or some of the kids, they wouldn't play along. And, and, and this is a little song that was actually used to kind of taunt them. You know, to, to sing to those kids, to call them out. You're not participating. Can you hear this now? We, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. <clears throat> we sang the dirge and you did not weep. They're, they're taunting. They're, they're kind of calling them out for this. See, see he, Jesus is, is referencing this, this common cultural thing uh, in, in, the, in this place to make a point. And the point that he's trying to make or he is making is that this is the time for repenting of sin. This is the time for believing on Jesus. This is the time to participate right now. And these Pharisees and these lawyers are refusing to participate. And they do so by by rejecting both John's call to repentance, right? Prepare the way. Make sure people know that they're sinners and need a Savior. And and they do so by refusing to respond to the, the call of Christ in the gospel. They reject Jesus. See, these people... Also, you'll see right below that, they're, they're spiritual malcontents. They're always finding something wrong with everything. The, the Pharisees and, <clears throat> and the lawyers reject John <clears throat> because he's too strict, right? He doesn't drink wine. He doesn't uh, do all these things. He's just too cut off from culture. And so they accuse him. He must have a demon, that guy. He's so weird. But then they reject Jesus on the other side, right? He's hanging out with sinners. He goes to these parties and he drinks wine and all their food. Like, we reject him too. So, some things never change. Today, there's still people who are always searching for some other Savior. They're always giving some excuse for why they couldn't possibly look to Jesus as their Savior. They couldn't possibly believe the gospel. You've heard it. Christians are too judgmental. Want nothing to do with them. They're, they're, they're hypocrites. They're, they're, they're too close-minded. Whatever reason they, they, they give, right? That they just some reason for here's why I reject Jesus. See, when this happens, the, the problem's not with Jesus. The problem's with the one who rejects him. So Jesus here sees that. Jesus condemns that generation, that, that group of people, because, yes, they rejected John, which, but ultimately because they now reject him, the Messiah. This is heartbreaking. I mean, think about this. Absolutely heartbreaking, because Jesus is the Savior that these Pharisees need. And Jesus is standing right in front of them. Here, here's who you need right in front of them, and they are rejecting him. The, the only one who can save their soul is right there, and they reject him. 
We see the same thing in our own day. <clears throat> I'll encourage you, Christians, when you, when you see this, watch your heart. I think sometimes we want to get angry at those people for rejecting Jesus. Don't, don't be angry. Weep for them. Weep for them. Pray for them. Keep pointing them back to the Savior. It's terribly sad. Jesus' last statement in this passage is yet, he says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Um, the wise thing is to trust Jesus for salvation. I'm not saying the intelligent thing, right, or the smart thing, but the wise thing. Doing so is, is an evidence. It's getting weird, isn't it? Doing so is an, an evidence of God-given wisdom. I want to I close before I do, you know, um, I just want to come back to the, the struggle of doubt for a moment, and then we'll close. The, see, brothers and, and sisters, there's a huge difference between unbelief, unbelief, where you don't believe in Jesus and you're trying to reject and you want nothing to do with that. There's a huge difference between unbelief, like the lawyers and the Pharisees in our passage, and, and doubt like what John the Baptist experiences. If you find at times it's hard to believe the gospel, or that you have questions about what we learn in Scripture, don't immediately fear that you've suddenly fallen into unbelief. It's okay to have questions. But if you do, or rather when you do, go to Jesus Pray to the Lord, read the scriptures, soak your mind in the scriptures. That's where you need to be. Not only that, ask questions of people who you know also love the Lord. Right? Not people that want to see you leave the Lord, but ask questions of people who, who love Jesus, who want to help you find answers, who, who wish to see your doubts be overcome with greater faith. And this room is full of people like that. Many of, many of whom know how to help you through your doubts because they've had them themselves at some point and fought through them. And so don't, don't fight alone. Don't fight for faith alone. Let your covenant family come alongside you and encourage you. You know, we, we see the fact that John the Baptist could doubt and yet there's no doubt. I mean, you should have no doubt. John the Baptist is a genuine believer. He didn't leave his faith. He simply had questions. And the word of Jesus going back to him, undoubtedly, is going to be a great encouragement to him. I hope it is to you. Uh, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, give us minds to see clearly that we are sinners. And to see clearly that Jesus is not only a Savior, He is our Savior. Lord, if we have doubts, please strengthen our faith. Give us confidence in the gospel and in Jesus as he has been revealed in your holy word for us, to us. Lord, we do ask that any of those in this room who are struggling with doubts, that you take them away and replace them with faith and give them confidence in you, for you are glorious and a wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.